Welcome to the Addiction in My Family podcast, dedicated to educate parents and other family members about addiction, codependency, enabling, and recovery with your host, Donna Marston, author of Peeling the Onion and Just for Today. Welcome to Addiction in My Family. Today, I will be interviewing Michelle Vanagel. Well, first of all, what's your, what was your drug of choice? My drug of choice is crack cocaine. Okay. And at what age did you start using? Um, smoking? Have, well, I mean, I started using as a teenager, but I mean, I didn't start with cocaine. I started with drinking and smoking weed, um, taking acid, you know, like regular... I shouldn't say regular. It's not regular, but like all the things you do in high school, you know, so I did all that. Yeah. And then I, I probably tried cocaine for the first time. I was probably like 17. So then, you know, and then, but I'm like the family of shoulds, like you should have a house, you should have a couple of kids, you should get a career. So I put everything down at probably like 23 and did all those things, got a career, got a house, had two children. Um, and lived life like without any, I didn't go to any meetings or anything, but I just lived life for like 10 years. And then I relapsed when I was 34. And do you, can you pinpoint what that, what caused that relapse or was it just something um, that happened or did you? No, I'm going to pretty much, I'm going to pretty much say that I relapsed probably a couple of years before I ever picked up the drug. And in like 2005, I, you know, I, um, I kind of got antsy with my life, a little bored. I never worked on any of my issues. I fell in love, uh, moved to, sold my house, moved to Las Vegas. Like just my behaviors went off the chart. Mm-hmm. And then when, after I did that, I came, I was out there for about five minutes, it seemed like. Um, and then I came back and when I came back, I moved in with my mother because my dad had died and she was there by herself. And that's where I left my kids when I went to Vegas was at my mother's house. Cause you know, I was going to get set up out of there. I don't know what I was thinking, but, and then I, um, so when I came back, I had a built in babysitter every night. So I started going out again and started drinking. And then in 2007, in February of 2007, I don't know, I just got it in my head that um, I wanted to get high, and I did. I took a right instead of a left to go home, and I went and, and got high, and it was spiraled downhill fast. One of the things that I do want to talk about, I know that you went to jail, or I don't know if it was jail or prison. Um, yes. Is that a pathway for you to get sober? Um, and did not that happen at this point? Is this years later? What? No, years later. So I, so I relapsed in February of 2007. I was in Valley street jail by September of 2007 with a whole bunch of felony charges. I did get a prison sentence out of that. I got a one and a half to seven. So I did, I spent a year in Valley street waiting to be sentenced. And then I went to, um, Goffstown. Once I got up to Goffstown, I only had like six months, so I didn't utilize anything inside the prison at all. 
because it was by the time I get classified and stuff, it was time to get out. So when I got out and was on parole after the first prison sentence, I um now I my job before that was eighty thousand dollars a year, and you know I couldn't get a job doing that because of my background now because I had like twenty seven felonies on my record, and then Dunkin' Donuts wouldn't hire me, so I went back to I went back to selling again, um, just to support myself, and then I got another prison sentence of a three to six. Um, when I went in that time, I got transferred to Stratford County. So I bounced between the prison and Stratford County, which was tough because you couldn't get settled anywhere. So I didn't really do much that time at the prison either. I didn't utilize anything the prison had. I mean, I went to Shea Farm Halfway House and I worked and I got a job and like that part of it was good, but I still didn't do any programming per se or like look at myself. I didn't do that until my... I didn't do that until my last prison bid, which was because I went in and out for like eight out of the past 10 years. Um, I was only out each time, probably five months, six months, then I'd go back in. This last time that I went in, I went in in 2014, um, and they had a drug treatment program there at that time. Mm-hmm. And it was like an intensive, it was an intensive like nine month program. So I did that and I actually like looked at my behaviors and it wasn't like always about looking at your addiction. It was more like looking at the things that caused your addiction or the things that, you know, underneath, you know, the underlying issues. So I didn't, I didn't end up graduating that program because I did get released on the bracelet in October of 15, but I had done probably about six months of that program. Interesting. So when I met you was, I think, oh, was it a year ago or two years ago? Was it 2016 or 2017? It was December of 2016. It was. So two only, years ago. Only because Chris has, Chris has his um, certificate here on the window. Did you go into Rise Above when you, when you got out of prison? Is, yes. Is I went into, I got. The house manager? I went into Rise Above in October 2015, um, and I was on the bracelet. I went there. I actually went there. I was only going to stay 30 days. Um, I figured I'd just get out, get situated, and find a place. But I went there, and it was different. There were people that like could relate to things I was going through. Um, I found a job. I stayed. I actually got scholarship for the first two weeks at Rise Above because I had nothing leaving the prison. Um, and then a couple months later in January, they were opening a new house in Manchester. So the house manager that was at our house went up to Man- to Manchester and they needed somebody else to run the Nashua house. So they asked me, I did that. Um, so then I committed to staying for a little while. And then a few months later, actually today, March 21st, because today is my two-year anniversary here, um, process recovery center hired me as a technician. Wow. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if they hadn't, if they hadn't all believed in me and the things that they saw in me, I probably, I don't know how it would have turned out. I'm not going to say that I wouldn't have worked on myself because I had started working on myself, but really it was the belief that somebody actually trusted me again. Right. 
So when you were going through all of this, what was your relationship with your family? How did it affect your mom? It, it was your dad in the picture, um, siblings. What was the family unit going through? My dad is deceased. Um, when I first went in, in 2007, my family um, was still very supportive. When I got out, actually, it was, two th it was March of 2009 when I got out. I actually paroled to my sister's house when I got out of prison the first time. And my family unit was still intact. But then when I couldn't find a job, not that they made me feel like it because they didn't. It was more my pride, I think. But, like, I became, like, this built-in, like, housekeeper almost. Like, I was cleaning my sister's house. I was cooking dinner. I was doing laundry. Because I felt like, why should my sister be supporting me when I couldn't find a job? And that, you know, hurt my pride and ego. And, that, and I ended up leaving. After I left her house and went back to Nashville and then got my second prison sentence, my family um, pulled away a lot more. My family still isn't even today. Now I have all, I'll have five years clean in August. Um, my family even today isn't a family that is completely in my life. Um, I do talk to my kids through Facebook and stuff now. We're working on those relationships, but not fully there. Mm. Well, it takes time to rebuild the relationships. No, absolutely. And, but also like, I have changed and I, and I understand that they have the right to feel however they want to feel and it's their time and it's on their, you know, time frame when they want to forgive and come back. But in the meantime, like it's not healthy for me to be around them all the time because when I get around them, I become the person that they think is a felon, the person that they think isn't doing what she should do where like I've, done like numerous strides and like come you know come a good ways since I've been out of prison this time and actually work for it and they don't want to like give an inch so it's not healthy for me to be around them right all the time. well you know in my parent support groups that I run I often tell the parents we have to do our own recovery because we can be toxic to you guys in your recovery and it's really yeah. important because we have the same behaviors you have a tendency to throw your past in your face, which isn't healthy. Who wants that done? You know, um, and, and parents and loved or siblings, they don't often take the time to understand what it's like to be somebody that has a, an addictive brain opposed to the person who doesn't have it. And it just, if, if everyone doesn't work together, it's very difficult to have a healthy rebuild a healthy relationship right and that's kind of and that's kind of exactly what's going on in my family is that um they're not like they they don't think there's any issue like they don't think that there's ever any issues within our family um my family is very much so if everything on the outside looks great everything's fine nothing you know there's always a pink elephant in the room like we have a lot of things in our family whether it be it's a mine, yours and ours family. Um, so like when my real father came back in the picture, like we didn't really talk about it. You know, my stepbrother had molested my sister. We didn't talk about it. You know, so I can think of numerous things that like we never talked about as a family. We just kind of swept under the rug, forgot about it, put a smile on our face and kept going. 
Mm-hmm. So that's what that's kind of what they do with my addiction and the prison sentence too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was more of an embarrassment that I went to prison and it was on the news than it was, well, what's really going on, right? Kind of thing. Well, it's really so, tough to look at ourselves. And, yeah. and, and many of the parents, when when uh, they come to my meetings or on in my uh, coaching business when I have a conversation with them that sometimes it's like, well, it's not my problem. You know, it's my child's problem. Right. And, and, but it is your problem. You know, we're part of the problem and yet we can be part of the solution as parents, you know, whether we, we, we become healthy or unhealthy. And I can tell you when my son was in and out of rehab for many years, I wasn't healthy enough to be in his life. I didn't know that. Because I would throw his past in his face. I would try to micromanage his recovery. I wanted to control who he saw, you know, people, places, and things. And I didn't have a clue what I was doing. But I heard people talk about different things. So I was making messes amongst his messes. And it was just breaking down the family. And so it's like London Bridge is falling down and nobody's, nobody's knowing what's going on. And so it took a lot of time. And for me personally, I ended up, um, I think two years before he got sober, I couldn't breathe and felt like I was emotionally drowning and started to do some work on me, you know, and, and getting healthy. And, and I, I joined the All Addictions Big Book Step Study Meeting so I could start to understand the addictive brain. I had I grew up around it, had no knowledge. And that's the thing with my family is they really don't have any knowledge. Um, they don't completely understand it. They, they want to believe that it is completely my problem. Um, and like micromanage, like they, they didn't understand when I first got out and I was going and I had, I told them I had to go to meetings all the time. It was, well, you've already missed so much time with your family and so much time with your kids. Well, like that time doesn't, I don't keep that time with my kids if I'm not doing what I need to do for myself. Right. And, you know, and they, it's a selfish program for a reason. And they didn't understand that. So I agree with that. The families don't always understand. Right. And we can get selfish too. I remember yeah. when my son was, um, he, I think he was only been out of rehab for a couple of months. He was going to, he was doing the third, um, 90 meetings in 90 days, and it, it was, he got out in, I think, September, I think early September, and it was Thanksgiving, and he was going to a meeting, and I said, you know, for God's sakes, can you just stay home and be with the family today? Can you just give us a day? And he said, no, I can't. My sobriety is number one. If I don't do my sobriety, work on my recovery, I have nothing. I understand that now but I didn't understand that then. Right. And I think that's tough. I, th- I think it's really tough for parents and, and loved ones and, and children and, you know, to, to have an understanding of what you guys go through. I remember going to a meeting one night and there was a speaker and the guy said he had been in recovery for, or absent for, I want to say seven years, but he was irritable, restless, and discontent. He had the same thought process and behaviors. He just wasn't drinking. And then he started to do the steps, and he, he became at peace with himself. But one of the gifts he gave me is to say that his brain was wired differently than my brain. 
and, and I didn't understand that. So to me, that was a gift. You know, people who have a substance use disorder, their brains are wired differently. And that's a tough thing, you know, to understand because, you know, I used to think, you know, just stop. You know, if, if I love you more, stop. If I buy you more, stop. He'd make all kinds of promises and, 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 and what a mess it was. Um, we make messes too, just like you guys do, you know. I, well, I, and, that, and that, yeah, and that's, that was what would happen with my family. It was if you loved us enough, you'd be here. If you've missed so much time in your kid's life, you'd be here. Um, you know, all of those things. And, mm -hmm. it, you know, you're choosing drugs over your children. Well, no, it wasn't an active choice. Right, right. Well, I mean, yes, like I do believe like the first time I pick up, it's an active choice. Like if I'm sober, if I'm clean and I choose to pick up, like I, I chose that. Once I pick up, my choices are gone. Right. You, you lose the right to choose. So. Yeah. No, and I understand that. It took me a long time to understand that because I used to think, you know, just stop, just you know, in the control and manipulation, I, I find that we mimic each other's behavior, right? The only difference between me and my son is I wasn't self-medicating, but I had a lot of the same behaviors. I was restless, irritable, and discontent, just like he was when he was out, you know, doing his thing. And, um, and it just took a long time. Um, so let's talk about where you are today you're like the go-to girl or go-to lady <laughs> in my book at, at Rise Above. Are you still the house manager or are you more in the process center? Let's talk about where, well, what your recovery so has given you. My recovery has given me a ton of stuff back um, where I am today. So I've been, out of, I've been out of prison this time for a couple of years. I got released from parole early, which is a miracle in itself. I never thought I'd even be out of the system. So I'm out of the state system, which, like I said, is amazing to me. Um, I was supposed to be on parole till this July. They let me off in January. I am, I'm not actually a house manager. I oversee all of the Rise Above housing, both men and women. I mean, I do have a male counterpart that does it with me, Sean. But so we run Rise Above. I do take all the phone calls and intakes um, and schedule people coming in to go into the beds. I also, my real job, not that that's not a real job, but like my real job is the Process Recovery Center in Hudson, which is an intensive outpatient program and a PHP program. I'm in charge of all of housing for them and also the behavioral health technician. Mm -hmm. So my life today couldn't be any more different than what I was doing when I was using. And you're also a trained recovery coach too. I am a trained recovery coach who, who needs to get her act together, Donna, and go get her CRSW because I do have all the classes now. I just have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I did that. And uh, I, I got mine, I think it's almost two years now that I got my CRSW. Yeah. I, I just have to go get the fingerprint. I just have to do it. I got to sit down and just do it. Yep. I have the letters I need. I have the supervision. I have the classes. I just have to do it. Well, with your work, I, I would think that you'd have plenty hours, because <laughs> right? you're always engaged with people who are seeking recovery. Is it, if people don't know what Rise Above is, it's um, is it more recovery housing, level two, sober housing? Um, 
or transitional living, would you say? I would say sober housing slash transitional living. It's, um, it's a place that you can just have some accountability. So they have to, there's a house manager that lives in each of the houses. It's a safe, sober environment. Um, the accountability piece of it is that they have to do so many meetings. They have to get a sponsor. Um, they have to do a mandatory, like, all house meeting once a week with all the, like, the females do it on Wednesday. The males do it on Mondays. There's a curfew, you know, Sunday through Thursday. There's a, cur a different curfew Friday and Saturday. They're breathalyzed nightly. They're UA'd throughout the week. So it's, you're living on your own. You're living with people that are going through the same thing you're going through, but there's enough, there's enough accountability that it will, you know, keep you on the right track, but mm -hmm. there's also enough kind of rope to hang yourself. If you're not doing rise above, you're going to get out of rise above what you put into it. Like what I got out of rise above, I'm all about rise above. I know process recovery pays my bills, but, I'm all about rise above because like rise above is what saved my life this time mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned yeah. um, because it gave me someplace safe to be because right. that was my biggest problem every time I got out of prison is I would live with somebody or I would get in a relationship with a guy because I was in love and everything would be great and really it, I didn't work on myself. I didn't do anything I needed to do and I lived the way they wanted to live because I was living in their house. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, where yeah. Rise Above was a place that I could go that was safe. Um, it was clean. It, you know, and it had 23 other women in the building that knew exactly how I felt. Like if I felt at three o'clock in the afternoon that I wanted to go get high and throw in the towel, I could go on the porch, smoke a cigarette and run into probably 10 people. Mm -hmm. And those people would tell me, probably not let's think about this and then so when you think it through you're like no consequences about you know because you stop and you, you think about it right so. you know it's interesting because just like treatment I hear sober housing or recovery housing parents will say you know didn't work for my my son or my daughter you know um, blah 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 and I hear it all the time and, and my answer is you know it, it's not gonna work if you don't work it Right. Right. Recovery is not going to work if you don't work it. And, and but relapses, parents and the kids are still blaming people, places and things because you could be in the worst sober house in the world. But if you were committed to your recovery, there's a way you'd figure out how to stay in recovery and move forward in it. I say that all the time, like people, places and things. And you, if like, you're right. If you're working your recovery, you're fine. When I first, when the prison van pulled up to, to cross street, um, rise above on cross street, I said, I can't, I looked at the prison guard that was dropping me off and I'm like, I can't stay here. I picked up my dope every day from behind the house. And I'm like, this is where I sold. This is where I met my dealer. This is like, I can't do this. Well, yes I can. Cause I just don't need to be in that alleyway. I just don't need to be meeting that person. I don't need to be doing those things. You know, I sold most of my drugs in Nashua and Nashua is where I got clean. Bottom line is no matter where you go, you show up, right? Yeah. You take yourself with you. <laughs> so if you're not doing and, the work, you get the, you get and, what you get. And I don't care where you put me. I've never been to Texas, but if you put me in Dallas, Texas, and I wanted to get high, I bet I could get high. And I've never, I've never been there. So, mm -hmm. I mean, we're pretty into addicts are pretty intuitive. 
and very resourceful. Very resourceful. You know, the parents, as parents, we worry they're not going to be fed. They're not going to get this. They're not going to get that. They can get their drugs no matter yeah. what. And, and we're sitting, you know, uh, fretting about everything and making ourselves sick. And when, in fact, our kids aren't really given a, a care that we're getting emotionally or physically ill or financially bankrupt, they're just, they're just doing what they need to do to get high. Right. And living their active addiction. Yeah. So anything else that you think is really important for parents or anybody suffering from a substance use disorder that they need to know how to work recovery or how to um, just surrender to their addiction so that they can, you know, seek help or seek treatment? I think it's twofold. I think on the parent side, there's a fine line between helping and enabling. Mm -hmm. um, and they have to be real careful with that because like, I'm not saying that parents and family members shouldn't be supportive of the addict that's trying to get clean, but only supportive, not enabling. Because at some point, like, if they're working harder for, for the recovery than the addict themselves are, there's a problem. They can't do it for us. We have to do it for ourselves. For the addict, like, I, I'm all about sober living. I'm all about, because it's not an I program, it's a we program. Mm -hmm. You know, we we get better together. We get clean together. Like, you know, if it wasn't for the people in the, the meetings, AA and NA and like, or even so like the people I work with, like I'm not today a perfect person and I probably don't go to enough meetings, but like I come here and, and get my ass reamed by the people I work with because they're also in recovery and you know, they keep me on the straight and narrow. Mm -hmm. So it, it really is like a we program. It needs to be something that's done together. And like people need to get into the middle of it and not stay on the edge. The people on the edges are going to get picked off. Right. So um, you want to give a little plug about Rise Above and Process Center before we end? I love Rise Above and <laughs> Process. Uh, <laughs> I, think Rise, I think Rise Above is the best sober. I mean, actually, there's not... It, it's, I can't, I mean, I'm not even going to say I think it's the best sober living because of the people that are involved, but it is really just that it's the people in it. And like, I tell them all the time, like I'll tell the, I tell the women at the house meeting, like we have never a house meeting tonight. Rise above is a name, like rise above was a vision that, you know, the owners had when they opened it. Mm -hmm. And, but rise above has come as far as it's come because of the people that have come through rise above. We have um, like, yeah, you always hear about the relapses and you always hear about the bad things that happen. But like, we just, we've decided that every three months we're going to do like a celebration of like people that have gotten a year or two years that are still with us. And like, we passed out like 12 year medallions the last time we did it. Wow. Like we have some serious success rate and it's, it's because of the community. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not the name, it's the community. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, if it wasn't for the people that opened it, it wouldn't be what it is today. But it has, it's grown. I mean, I think we're on, like, we're getting ready to open house number 12 or something in Nashua. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, we're adding, like, another 30 male beds. And I should probably hang myself, Donna, but I keep asking. I keep asking for more beds, and, like, they keep doing it. So. Um, and as for process recovery center, like, again, 
it's the people that work here. It's the, um, it's how much everyone cares. It's, you know, it's not about, that's the one thing that I like. I mean, I might bitch about it a little while I'm here. Like we don't ever let people go. We don't ever release people. We don't discharge people. We keep them forever. Um, but ultimately that is what keeps them clean. So, right. you know, it's not, I know that there are some programs and some houses that like after 30 days, like you're done and it's, you know, kind of figure it out. Yeah, that's the one thing I love about process recovery and about rise above is that's not, that's not what they do here. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I enjoy working for both yeah. because you know, it is about, it's about the person. I mean, yes, they're both businesses. Like no one's going to deny that they're both businesses, but like ultimately it really is about the people that come through it. Right. I'll end with this, that um, I assisted a training for um, recovery coaching with <laughs> people that worked for um, the process center and rise above. And, and I was very impressed with, with the uh, caliber of young adults that, that were um, training. And, and yeah. the unity that you all had was really special. And you could see, you know, it, it, the room was full of love. And I think yeah. that's really important. Yeah, it's, I don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I bitch about my job occasionally and I'm like, huh. But ultimately, I don't, like, it's not like coming to work every day. It's not when you get up in the morning, like, oh my God, I got to go to work for eight hours. And like some days it's 10 and some days it's 12. But I don't always feel like it's a job. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you're doing what you love. Yeah, I am doing what I love. And, and, yeah. and you're paying it forward, you know, for all the blessings that you've had. So yes. It, and, it, and it's pretty amazing, you know, often end with when, I, when I'm out on speaking that a curse can be a blessing and a blessing can be a curse and that the curse of addiction almost destroyed my child and my family. But in the end, my family is much closer. We've rebuilt our relationships. We've regained our health. We've restored our sanity and we found our serenity. How lucky are we? Right. And we're all back yeah. in each other's lives and stronger than ever. And my two boys who I never thought would speak a civil word to each other are now business owners and um, together they own a business. And it's just, it's just amazing. The beauty that comes out of what can be so destructive and uh, the beautiful people that I've, I've met that are in recovery is amazing oh, i've met some of the, yeah i've met some of the best people in my life in yeah and, and i and i often say i'd rather be in the halls because i know what i'm getting than out in society where you know i don't know what people are doing or you know there's more honesty i i believe in the halls than out, out there but so anyway on that note i'd like to thank you for um coming on and sharing your experience faith and strength with everybody and I wish you all the best. You're welcome. Thank you, Donna. All right. You take care. Bye now. All right. Bye-bye. So thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed listening to Michelle talk about um, what it was like to, to um, be in active addiction, going in and out of prison, and how the, the beauty or the miracle of sobriety, what it brings to a person. And there's many pathways to recovery. And for Michelle, it was, you know, going to prison, getting out of prison, going to sober living. And she found her niche in life. And 
she's living a good life at this point. So thank you again, and may your faith and strength heal your heart. Thank you for listening today. If you want to support the Addiction in My Family podcast, please subscribe, share, and leave a review on iTunes. If you are in need of support, Donna offers private coaching sessions and an online membership page for parents who are emotionally bankrupt. For more information, visit www.donnaforsupport.com.